Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. At America's biggest sporting events, Ryan McDonough is there on the sidelines, getting the party started and keeping it going. The Super Bowl, Daytona 500, Final Four, Ryan's there. Ryan and I played college football together. After graduation, Ryan went to New York City where he realized his future wasn't in finance or in serious acting, but in jump-starting his own career as a party catalyst. John Hodgman profiled his days and nights as Cuervo Man for a 2002 radio piece on This American Life. Hollywood wanted to develop a movie about him. That stalled, but Ryan has written his own short film, fictionalizing a slice of his childhood, called Last Night in Razi, which co-stars another college classmate, Mark Feuerstein. Ryan McDonough tells me all about it, so let's get to it! Ryan McDonough, hey, welcome Sean. to Last Things First. Thank you very much. Um, thank you for welcoming me into your home here in lovely Long Beach, California. <laughs> it is lovely. Uh, and making me your last stop before the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, I'm leaving in, what, about an hour? Yeah. So an uh, hour and a half. And you're not going, bec- you don't play for the Panthers. Not today. You don't play for uh, the, who's the other team? The, the, the Broncos. The one that beat our team? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Broncos. Broncos. Do, is, it, is it better to go when, you're, when your team's not? Yes. Yet? I think it's, well... It's harder when the team that beat your team in the round before is there mm-hmm. because then all their fans are there. Like I was there in New Orleans uh, when Baltimore won it all, okay. and that was horrible because it just was like – I mean, we even had like a Ray Lewis picture that I had to deal with, and I had to make fun of it. Like, here's Ray Lewis mm-hmm. stabbing me, you know, <laughs> which he never stabbed anybody. Let's right. get that, you know, clear. But it's – yeah, I think it's hard when the team that beat you is there. Okay, but what – what is your role going to be in Super Bowl week this um, year? Yeah, so I will be working for what uh, do you do? a brand. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, an MC for hire. So is I, that uh, how you describe it to strangers at cocktail parties? Or? Yeah, people say, "What do you do?" I'm, I say, "I'm an entertainer," and they're like, "What do you mean?" And I'm like, "I'm an MC. I'm a Mick. <laughs> I'm an MC." Uh, like a party starter, party catalyst, or, party yeah. starter. But you know, like basically, I will I will explain it as I am uh, an MC, somebody who's on the mic, entertaining people for certain brands, mostly at sporting events and consumer, you know, stuff at uh, sporting events. So like NFLX, which is the NFL experience mm-hmm. at Super Bowl, everybody goes and pays thirty five bucks or whatever to go and run the forty yard dash or like catch a football or get a bunch of free stuff. I'll be working for Mountain Dew Kickstart. We'll have a, one of those electric uh, football games where the the little players like sort of vibrate. Oh, okay, like like we had in the 1970s. The exactly. Okay. You know, so we, it takes us back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think there's any skill involved whatsoever. I think it's really just random. But I'll be emceeing. They're dressing me up in really nice suits. Uh, oh, not like a referee's. No, like I'm, a foot I'm like the guy. You don't look like you might work at Foot Locker. You look. No, I will not be the Foot Locker guy. I will be dressed up as like kind of a cross between Michael Buffer and uh, I don't know Neil Everett from ESPN Sports Center or something like that. What was the first major sporting event that you worked first in this I, capacity? Yeah, so. Um, when I started my business, because I, you know, came from, we were talking about this off, you know, how you start things. Uh, I had been working for Jose Cuervo for a number of years through another company, and then I kind of went off on my own. And the first job I ever did on my own was to work for the Dallas Cowboys, and they kind of just made a job up for me. They said, you know, during their tailgate for uh, their football game, this was in 1999, uh, they said they wanted me to come down. Uh, because I had met them at Cuervo Island. Okay. Yeah, they were there on a junket on a trip, you know, for their uh, for the VP of sale beverage and all food and beverage mm-hmm. at the stadium and uh, and all her employees. So they made a job for me. I left my company and went down there for like six hundred bucks for the weekend and and basically just I don't know I got on a microphone and beatboxed and gave people like free Hooters wings or something if they could get a bowler hat onto the plunger on my head. Because I had shaved my head and all how, that stuff. How did you negotiate the price? Yeah. That's a good <laughs> – I don't know. I think <laughs> I just was like, what can you guys afford? I kind of knew what my uh, 
what the going rate was for what I used to do as okay. far as what the company was charging to have somebody working for him to go do it. And I think I kind of took that and ran with it, and I eventually came up with a day rate that uh, that I still kind of have, which is a little bit uh, – it's good. It's like I can – get paid and, and work, but I don't work that much. So I'm still not making a great salary, you know, but I get paid very well when I do go and work, which is nice. Right. I mean, you do well enough that you have a house and a wife and a kid and a dog. And yeah. Yeah. And and my wife works way harder than I do. So that's <laughs> most of it. But, uh, yeah. Did she know that, that you were the party catalyst when you met? We met in Ibiza in 2002. I was working for a college television network, which is now uh, MTVU. Uh, they didn't keep me. I don't know why. I was mm. too old, I guess. I was over 30. And uh, I uh, I was there. She was working for College Club as a mm-hmm. sex editor, which was a website that's now defunct. But uh, she was out in, in San Diego. I lived in New York. And, uh, yeah, and we were out there with a bunch of other folks. Like, there was a DJ from WBCN in Boston, mm-hmm. if you remember Bradley J. Like, there was all these, some, someone from Florida. Um and it was a junket for Axe deodorant body spray before it came to the States. <laughs> and that was that was how I met my wife. Um, but I was I was there. And so Axe body spray really does work. It totally works. It just takes a while because it took a couple of years. And, and it was a marriage as opposed to a hookup. So, um, yeah, man. And, and when I was there, I was, you know, doing a bunch of weird stuff mm-hmm. on camera. So I was, like, you know, spraying Axe on myself and having topless women at the beach, like, sniff my armpits. Now, uh, I want to backtrack just a little bit because the first time I met you was before our freshman year of college because we did we meet at the because we sh- because orientation because we sh- we sh- I showed up for lightweight football a few days before everybody else. That's what it was. Yeah, because we played on the lightweight, lightweight football, football team. team at Princeton. That's right, with Mark Feuerstein and Bill Dawes yeah. and uh, a couple other folks that people might know. It's, it's well. One, it's crazy that lightweight football is still a thing because <laughs> if you think explaining party catalyst mm. is something, try explaining lightweight football. Nobody people. accepts that it's a varsity sport or that it's full pads. They're just like, so wait, so you guys just flag football? It's football. We just weigh less. Right. That's it. Which means we're faster. Way faster. I mean, you're probably still fast. I'm not. So fast not fast. Anymore. I ran a forty like over five like ten years ago. I was like, what? <laughs> I just blew your mic up. I wouldn't dare <clears throat> check the time on my 40 now. Oh, that's, yeah. But it was 4, I think my best was 4, 7. That's good. I think I was at 4, 7, 9 um, in high school. But I do remember that you were also involved in acting mm-hmm. with the Triangle Club. And you sang, too. I did. A cappella group. That became my life in college was the Tiger Tones, uh, you know, and just singing with that. I never would have thought that. never would have predicted that that would be my main experience since uh but you tried out for them so you did i tried out for you them didn't want to be a performer but i tried out for them because this is what i would do someone said hey you should rush sae mm-hmm. you know wardy farrell right on uh and lightweight football sigma alpha epsilon. sigma alpha epsilon he's like you should rush sae he mm-hmm. said that and he had that southern drawl no idea what he was saying three times he said it in the locker room mm-hmm. i was like what and then i finally had to ask somebody, and they were like, oh, right. And I didn't know what a fraternity was, so I went and did it, and I get in mm-hmm. somehow. Like, I you know, I bickered T.I., Tiger in mm-hmm. to get into that eating club because my roommate was doing it. I didn't really care for it. I didn't really know. I get in, he doesn't. Like, weird stuff. As far as the Tiger Tones, I had a classmate. I think it was David Rodwin was in my acting class mm-hmm. as well as uh, – and I'm going to forget his name. It was in the footnotes. Sorry. Um, but the two of them were already in the respective – groups mm-hmm. um and they were having auditions in the spring and they said you should audition and i was like okay because we had to sing something in acting class oh okay. so i was like all right i'll do it you know and i didn't even know what i was doing i had a horrible audition but like the competition wasn't so great i think that spring and i got in were you a performer in high school yeah i sang and um but i had i had i still had a bit of a boston accent so like I it was Tony in West Side Story, so I was like Maria. I just met a girl named Maria. Like just you know this really bright, weird like <laughs> Boston sound to it. And I could sing. I had a decent voice in there, mm-hmm. but it was sort of masked. But that was the the solo I sang for the Tiger Tones, and I got made fun of for it for years. But yeah, I sang. I was in Glee Club, and I was in a lot of musicals, and because that was the predominant uh, opportunity to act was musical theater. 
But when you rolled into college, were you were you thinking about the performing arts? Yeah, as I definitely. A career? I definitely wanted to act. Uh, I I didn't think about singing. I really didn't. I thought football first of all because I just figured I wasn't going to have an opportunity ever again. You know, right. to play. So I was kind of into the whole lightweight thing. And then right. our actually, league was a very. I mean, it still is a very exclusive, rare bird of a sport. Yeah, and so it's it, like if you have that chance, why not? You do it. Playing. But then it was also the idea of like, well, if it's going to take me away from other opportunities to do things that I can do after this, like what's the point of continuing with lightweight football? I mean, I ended up, you know, ending it after sophomore year. As did I. Yes, did you? You know, and, and that was partly and because they, it's like they've won two games since. That's, that's, another, that's what happened. But that's another podcast. We were, <laughs> we were the Babe Ruth. We were the last link <laughs> in their championship chain. That's it. We were the curse of the Max. <laughs> But, you know, so many of our classmates went on to law school or medical school or Wall Street. Yeah. A lot of people on the Wall Street. I tried. What, did you try to do any of the Wall Street stuff? No, I went straight into journalism. You did? Yeah. I had no, I Even wanted though there to, wasn't a journalism program yeah. on campus. Good for you. I, um, I knew I wanted to act, but I was like, I don't know how to do that. And I didn't know where I was going to go. And I had, you know, some people were like, hey, do you want to, we're moving to New York. Jeff Davis and uh, and Andy Salander, like mm-hmm. moving to New York, you come with us. I was like, oh. I was like, oh, uh, so you were still a follower. I was a follower. I, uh, you know, I honestly, I fell into like pretty much most aspects of my life. It seems because uh, I don't know. I mean, I did something well enough that somebody was like, hey, that'd be cool or whatever. Or, mm-hmm. You know, I was popular enough at times that you know. Um, but yeah, I tried to get a, an investment banking job in New York. You know, like a lot of other people did. Just because you go to what Wigan Clio, I don't even know what building, but one of those buildings. Oh, where the career center was. Career center. Yeah. Which I was like. Yeah, oh. I was in one of those buildings. Yeah. So people went to it, mm-hmm. and they were like, and I sent out forty-three resumes and cover letters, which I was like, how do you do it? And I got like five or seven, five or six interviews. Mm-hmm. Got like only one second round, which became a third round, which became a rejection. Oh. <laughs> But you still went to New York City after that. Uh, yeah, at that point. And I had an $8 an hour job through a temp agency working for the American Bible Society in uh, the fall of 1993. What were you doing for the American Bible I, Society? I, answering they, the phones or were you actually wasn't even answering you? a phone. It was they, – they, this is back when they had the little – it was like a catalog, right? A little like um, – looked like a Reader's Digest or something like this, a little magazine. Mm-hmm. And people would take the order form in the back and mail it in. And there was a guy that was in charge of me for this thing, this old guy that had been there for years, mm-hmm. who I had to kind of just read over these things, and then he would proofread them to make sure what the orders were, and I would just tally them up. I don't even know what I did. I, most of the time I spent going to the bathroom because I was so bored. <laughs> and I was hungover a lot of times. Did you get, Did you ever have a real job? I had one real job for two months, uh, and that was in 93 to 94. So that was shortly after. Because I was temping and I was trying to act and I was mm-hmm. doing a couple of things, not making any money. And the temp agency had an opportunity at uh, Business Development Associates, which is a, a small company, four people, or three people. I was the fourth. Uh, and they'd come from some other company where they develop conferences. Based, you know, they hire experts and they find something that's interesting. I knew nothing about any of this stuff. And mm-hmm. I was there in the two months. And they were great. Like, I was, I was a jerk. Um, but I just I couldn't be there sitting in an office every day, uh, even though I was doing it as a as a temp at other times, like as an administrative assistant, I had an opportunity to grow with this thing. And I just like was like, let me act. And that's when I. So what were you doing to pursue the acting? I was, you know, after I quit there, I started just going to backstage and going to open calls and musical theater mostly because it just seemed like that's what was mostly available. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had like a bad headshot that I had gotten you know, a year earlier or whatever. And, uh, and I had my resume and, and the first job I got was at a dinner theater. Uh, and it was like, because somebody had dropped out. I think it was like one of these, you go audition for the dinner theater and they kind of just see a bunch of people. They'll cast a bunch of shows mm-hmm. and then they'll keep the rest of you on file. They kept me on file and they, they called me sometime in, uh, like around Easter of 94 to say, you know, somebody dropped out of MAME in the chorus. <laughs> Do you want to come down and make, $200 a week. I was like, hell yeah. That's what I want. How long did you do that? I did MAME, and then I got cast in a chorus line, which I don't dance, at least not that kind of dancing. I dance right. like a fool on the dance floor, and I rock it. 
I'm creative. <laughs> you know, I don't follow the choreography of a chorus line, and I can't tap dance, and I can't really spin. Mm-hmm. But I was Larry, the dance captain, so I got to fake stuff. So that was about three months, and then okay. I did Annie in Florida. So it just it created all this stuff. They had another dinner theater in Florida. So Wait, let me stop you for a second. Annie? It, no, no, the dancing. Yeah. So <laughs> if you – because I identify with this. Have When is the last time you've watched the show So You Think You Can Dance? I've seen parts of it, but uh, yeah. And I, when I you can. when you watch it, do you think, oh, but for the grace of God, there go I. I <laughs> could be. <laughs> that could be me. That could be me Never. on that show. No, because I'm not. I'm more athletic than graceful, mm-hmm. and I am uh, the football I, player. In you. That's it. I think it was just like my shoulders are too high. Like they just, <laughs> my shoulders go up to my neck. Like there's all this stiffness that when you see a dancer, their neck is long. Right, and I have a like a meathead ne- neck, meathead neck. See, I'm looking at the dancers' legs. Oh, okay. I should be looking at their necks. Maybe you should look at the necks. Hmm. But they're probably fairly slender. I mean, they can still be big. Let me look at the the athletes that have done it. Right. I think uh, the wide receiver, like Terrell Owens, was on mm-hmm. it. I don't know. These oh, that's Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. Oh, not so you think you can dance. So you think you can dance? That's more. Okay, that's like more individual showcasing. All right. So there's no stars there. It's the not stars so are the you... judges and the choreographers. So it's just random Joes going in there? I would never do that. Yeah. That would be horrible for me. Okay. Um, although, if I was allowed to freestyle, yeah. I think I would kill it. I mean, your audition, I won you have a contest. solo audition. I, I, I won a dance contest. What was the first dance for contest you won? That was in, uh, what the, it was Have a Nice Day Cafe. Remember that place? I think that's what it in was called. In New York called. City? Or? No, it was in, uh, it was in Dallas. <laughs> I don't remember well, they, they had it everywhere. No, but I mean, it was like all over. It was it was a chain, but it was like an eighty Dallas ones. But I don't. <laughs> you got to know it. Uh, great barbecue and have a nice day cafe and the and the cowboy. Oh, is it a chain of like seventies themed? I think it was eighties themed. Oh, it must have, well, it makes sense if it was seventies, right? Late seventies, nice early eighties. I think of that yellow. Smiley yeah, I think that's what things. it was. So there was a full Monty contest. So it was like I had to strip. Dear God, but but they said you couldn't go past your boxers, and I was mm-hmm. like, that's not that's. Not even a half Monty. That's ridiculous. <laughs> right. It's like a three-quarter Monty. So Three-card uh, Monty. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Three-card Monty. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I, and I had to go first and okay. stuff. But I, yeah, I had like layers on and I had breakaway pants and, and, uh, and I did it to um, let me clear my throat <laughs> by whatever's DJ Cool or something. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. God damn. <laughs> and I lip synced it and I mm-hmm. pulled business cards out of my speedo that was mm-hmm. under my boxers and handed them to the female judges while I was dancing after I ripped everything off. Yeah. I did a backflip and a split <laughs> and I was incredibly creative and did mm-hmm. a lot of air humping. And, and then people went after me and they were all like beefcake and all this other stuff, but they couldn't dance. And I won 300 bucks. Bam. Now, Gosh. what did it say on your business cards at that time? It said Ryan McDonough show off. Okay. Because I do remember a period. I don't think you still go by Mick show off. I do. That's my company. I'm incorporated oh, okay. in okay, California. <laughs> It's an S-Corp. So, so when did that happen? The sh- and why did that happen? Why, why did, yeah, why? Why did, did Mick Showoff just, become a corporation? Or, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it was always within you, probably. But was, when did it become a thing that you're like, I need this on a business card and I need to file tax paperwork? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I had been working for uh, in the party industry for this other company called High Voltage uh, Productions. This guy, Dan the Man, who is mm-hmm. awesome, still love him to this day, um, and kind of taught me how to MC and, and do a lot of stuff. And he had this relationship with the Jose Cuervo. How did you find that guy? Uh, through I was bar backing at a, at a bar when I wasn't working at the American Bible Society or, or, or doing conferences theater. or yeah all that other stuff. Um, I was working at a bar, bar backing, and uh, there was a DJ there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had his own DJ company. I think it was Zoda Productions. This guy, Adrian, who uh, great dude, brought me in and kind of taught me the ropes. He introduced me to High Voltage. Next thing you know, I'm doing a bunch of stuff and moved to L.A., moved back. I'm doing uh, Cuervo tours. Uh, and when I left on my own, I was working at Neptune Beach Club out in the Hamptons as an MC and kind of mm-hmm. developing a, a spiel on my own. And then uh, I needed my own sort of identity, I guess, and, and I was like Ryan McDonough. Actor, MC, dancer, like all the, I was just thinking of all the stuff that I could put on there as right. a goof, and I was like, show off, you know, let's make it that. I was going to have it plus, 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 equal show off or whatever, but I just, I was like, oh, this is Ryan McDonough, show off, that's it, the whole card, and on the back was my number or something. Um, and that went over really well, 
And it was, you know, websites. I was like, let me find showoff.com. This mm-hmm. was in 1998, 99 or something, 99. And showoff.com was taken, so I just was like, mm, I'll go with Mick Showoff. So that became my thing. Okay. When I started doing the Cuervo stuff on my own after I left that company and as this guy with a plunger on my head and kind of doing my own gig, wearing Speedos and women's bathing suits and whatever else, Mick Showoff had to become incorporated <laughs> for insurance purposes. Very exciting story, but that's why Mick Showoff is my company. <laughs> and that's been – what year was that that you incorporated? First time I incorporated, I think it was 2001 okay. in the uh, state of New York. might have been 02. I think it was 01. And what do you remember of the first time you met John Hodgman? John Hodgman wanted nothing to do with me when I met him. Like that was my impression of him. And yet, you know, listening to the This American Life, mm-hmm. you know, the Plan B episode – you know, and having talked to him since, it was completely different. He was fascinated, but like he just, he just judged me, judged John Hodgman. He judged <laughs> the hell out of me. Um, I, it felt that way to me because like they, the way he describes it, where the boat's coming in, like that's totally true. I had a bullhorn, and I'm like, you're entering a party zone or whatever, and I, they all come off, and I make them do shots off my head, and and he just was. I just remember him being like. This one's going to be tough. This guy's going to be a tough nut to break here. Did you know who he was or why he was there? No. Well, I knew that he was and, – and nothing – you know, he hadn't done a whole lot at that point. This is right. before he blew up, you know, so before he was – Before his books. Yeah, totally. He'd been Daily working show. on his books before The Daily Show. So he was just another of a bunch of writers that were kind of writers for hire. Like, so I think he was he was freelancing. I think he told them he was out there for men's health or something mm-hmm. like that and – a bunch of other writers with different relationships, and I think some that were actually representing, you know, publications that they're out there to write about Jose Cuervo tequila, and that's why they get a free trip, right. you know, to junkets. So, and I'm there to entertain them, and he just make sure they write a good story. Yeah, and they did not like what he came up with. So. <laughs> Anywho, but how did that? How did that? Did that have an immediate impact on your life? This American Life. Yeah. Or or was it a longer term? It did. Impact? Let me let me think. Um, yeah, I think it was longer term, but um, a lot of people heard it. I, I feel like it, to this day, like someone will be like, people I know that I've known mm. for years. That was you. Like they'll say that to me because it'll come up. Um, and, and so a lot of people had heard it, but I'd never heard of the show mm-hmm. even before. Um, and in fact, John, when I met him, and he you know contacted me. Well, at the end of his stay he's like you're pretty fascinating i want to talk to you about like trying to pitch some stuff i was like that sounds awesome thought it might be gq or men's health or like some other art uh, i don't know what the other magazines he pitched it to but they all kind of passed he had me go to his little gray book lectures at um galapagos he used to host oh okay um and be a part of that and stuff but then he mentioned this american life and i'd never heard of it and so when it came out it was like i loved it uh it was the first time i think i'd listened to it and um that got me in trouble with uh, with Cuervo because they didn't they were like we need to get you media trained. <laughs> <laughs> did did they media train you? <laughs> no, they just fired me. Oh, uh, they didn't fire me. We we parted ways uh, about six months later. Okay, it was it was going that way anyway. Um, and uh, yeah, it was uh, very interesting. But it long term because they developed it into a movie and stuff like that a few years later, and then that fell through. But I got a lot of notice through that episode, through re-airs, more than even the first time it, it went through. So when you when you left Cuervo Island, how did you start getting involved in these major sporting events? Because that's, that's what I've seen in our Facebook feed yeah. over the last several years is you're, you go to everything. It's weird. It yeah, I just – I mean, and this has been – so Cuervo was like my main – deal uh and and then i was doing some commercial stuff and some on-camera hosting and some other things but then like the sort of the day job became you know once cuervo dried up and some of the other brands i wasn't doing liquor stuff anymore pepsi became the first thing that i kind of worked for outside of cuervo uh and that was for a volleyball event it was through a company that you know uh really specialized in sporting events uh they did a lot of nascar and they were just doing beach volleyball um, with Pepsi and well Aquafina for mm-hmm. the, the volleyball, so I got involved with them, and then it just became job after job with them, mostly at sporting events like the Super Bowl and other mm-hmm. stuff like that. 
Was that before or after when I moved to New York in 2007? I oh, remember yeah. I ran into you one of my first days. I was working at the New York Daily News, and I got off the subway, and I saw you just sitting at a deli in the, in the diner in the diner yeah. in the morning as I was on my way to work. Like and you and, and you showed me. And you should yeah, right across the street from Madison Square Garden. Yeah. And you showed me you were working on mobile. Sprint. It was a yeah, Sprint uh, PowerView, which was – mobile episodes. Yeah, and it was before the iPhone. It, it was flip phones that before, had, you know – Like you, web series for your phone. Yeah, and they were they were producing their own content. And yeah. uh, IMG was actually hired to, to do it for them for that year. And I was the host of a, a sports comedy show, of all things. And I had a, a hosting agent at mm-hmm. Abrams um, – that actually didn't submit me for that. I got it. He submitted a bunch of other people, mm-hmm. uh, and we don't work together anymore. But good, good guy. But it was just one of those things that someone from that was uh, creating it, Mark Forrest, the guy that I had worked for with Cuervo, actually, okay. with a video that I did for them. He reached out to me and said, you'd be perfect for this. I met with the people and got to bypass most of that audition process. Okay. Went and auditioned. And so I did that. Uh, that was after... You'd already started doing the Pepsi thing? Yeah, I was already doing all that stuff. Okay. And so this was uh, sort of at the same time. Now, you don't have – I know you told me earlier you've done some improv but and you've done acting, but you don't have much, like, typical stand-up comedy experience? Or no, did not you much ever? at all. Very little. I mean, I did some. I used to go to uh, – do you remember the Tuesday night train wreck? Were you ever around for that? Down on, like, Avenue B or – no, it wasn't Avenue B. It was down uh, in – like the Soho area. Okay. Joey Gay used okay. to run it. Uh, Damien, I don't remember Damien's last name, but the two of them used to run it. And uh, Mike Somerville, I used okay. to do it with him. Um, Damien Lemon? What's that? Damien Lemon? Maybe. Okay. I don't know his last Laugh name. Laugh Lounge? Okay. Might be. All right. Um, but, yeah, so they would they would run this. You know, you go pay six bucks, mm-hmm. and, you know, the usual open mic. And I'd never done it before, and, and Mike Somerville had done it a bunch. Michael had. Um, and so, yeah, I started – doing horrible horrible jokes there and it was i figured it'd be easy because i'd been emceeing and doing all this other mm-hmm. stuff but it's hard man it's really tough uh, and then i did another round of it a couple of years later with dirty songs playing guitar and that went a little better mm-hmm. because i had a thing but you don't go to comedy clubs now no in fact i i had to emcee a uh, a very weird sort of corporate comedy show because for me as an MC, mm-hmm. I just have talking points. I, I don't MC comedy shows. Like I don't have my own. I'm not a comedian who's MCing, right? Who's just introducing everybody but doing his own act in between. Like I just kind of have talking points, talk about whoever's coming out, mm-hmm. and and I riff and I improv and and I just try to and I do a lot of work in the room, probably, you know, but not like a comedian where I'm looking to eviscerate what, somebody necessarily. What is your, what is the primary skill that you go back to when you're working a large? scale event yeah i think it's as a master of ceremonies as a master of ceremonies mc i guess it would just be wit and likability mm-hmm. is those are the, the survival skills not that and i don't take credit for either like so it's not like i'm i'm so witty and i'm so this or that and it's also just experience because i've been doing it a long time right but i had to do like a, a, a luncheon at the rose bowl so that was like the day before the rose bowl they had a luncheon they bring all the People out, and there's, like, I think, 1,500 people or 1,300 people. It's the same day as the parade? or It's the day before. Okay. So it's actually, yeah, New Year's Eve day, and mm-hmm. then New Year's Day, it's all the stuff. But they, you know, it's this big event in the tent uh, in the parking lot there. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. And I just had to warm them up for, like, 10 minutes. That was my job, you know, to go out there. And they gave me nothing. They were just like, go out there. And, right, and you don't have a stand-up routine? No, I have nothing. So I just was like, all right, well, I, you know. I learn about Iowa and Stanford as much as I can and talk mm-hmm. about it. And I know enough about college football. I can, right. you know, talk to everybody. But really it was just – and Ken Burns was there, you know, the documentarian. He's getting uh, – he, he was the uh, grand marshal, so mm-hmm. he was being introduced and he's sitting at a table. So I just kind of worked the room and then I had a couple of people, like one rep from each side. This is what I'm good at is making people do contests <laughs> so for nothing because I don't even have a T-shirt to give the winner. But I said, all right, here's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to need one representative from each side. We've got Iowa on one side. We've got Stanford on the other. And you guys are going to come up here. You send you one representative like David and Goliath, Mm -hmm. and we're going to determine who's going to win the game tomorrow by this. And I made these two kids do push-ups till they dropped. And one of them was 16, and one of them was 14. The Mm -hmm. 16-year-old is Iowa, and he just looked like he just came off a wrestling mat from Iowa where he just destroyed, like, 
all 49 other states. <laughs> and then there was a 14-year-old Stanford kid that looked like he just developed a new computer somewhere. That's like virtual reality. Like he was so scrawny. It was so – it wasn't even fair. But they both did push-ups. Yeah. Iowa destroyed them, and then Iowa got destroyed. So I was absolutely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, th- but then I was gone. Kaiser Suze. <laughs> I was gone. That's your move? That's my move. <laughs> he was gone. <laughs> Like, who is this strange, bald man with a microphone? Making people do push-ups and then leaving. But I, they loved it. They had a great time. And, and then, you know, in the 10 minutes became like 20. You know, they come out and they put the hands together and pull them apart. Right. Like, can you stretch it out a little bit? Uh, and I just kept talking to everybody. I said, that was great, guys. All right, here's what's going to happen. And then I made everybody take selfies of themselves. So it, was, it stole that from Ellen DeGeneres. Oh. Where, but I, but but I mixed it up. Moves. I won't steal her dance moves. Those are mine. I, I don't know if I danced there. But uh, Did you talk to Ken Burns at all? I did. He actually said something to me. I didn't know he was actually there until I asked who traveled the farthest. <laughs> like at the beginning. I was just like warming right. up. I was like, all right, so Ari, who, who came the farthest? I'm like trying to come up with something. Right. Who came the farthest to be here? You know, And someone's like, New Hampshire. And I was like, oh, down there. I was like, oh, New Hampshire. Huh? Oh, Ken Burns. What's up, buddy? <laughs> I like the fact that he... He responded. He totally yelled out. He's dude hanging out. He's like, New I Hampshire. Him, I see him meekly raising a hand. Yeah. yeah he was, no, he was like fired up. He like, got his kids. His kids were yelling, and then he was like, New Hampshire. Nice. And I was like, oh, you came from New Hampshire. Hey, Ken Burns. Baseball. Good stuff, man. I didn't say New York because that would have been incorrect because that's uh, different Burns. What's the, what's the oddest celebrity interaction you've had to deal Stormy with? Stormy Daniels, porn star. <laughs> When I was working for Sprint, okay. PowerView, I was down at the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. actually, when well, that was another one where the Colts beat us, and they went and won the Super Bowl against a bad Bears team. The Colts beat our lightweight football team? Oh, no. They, yeah. <laughs> no. Patriots you're talking about are, the New England Patriots. And they probably- In case you're just they, barely, not following along. Yeah. We're, sorry, guys. We're our both, team- We're both sadly but truly Boston sports fans. Big time assholes. Can I say that? <laughs> yes. Some bleep holes. Um, but yeah, Stormy Daniels- who she was more directing, I think, adult film at that point. Mm-hmm. But um, I have video of it, but it, it got all destroyed. Like they never used it. Mm-hmm. But they just—it's one of those things where we had it all set up, and we were, you know, Carl Lewis, and I interviewed a couple other people for Sprint Power View for the Super Bowl down there in Miami, and uh, and so she was walking through. They're like, "Yeah, let's bring her up," you know. And they were never going to use it, I don't think. But I was just sitting there, and I'm like. I'm just like blushing the whole time because she's flirting with me and her boobs were ridiculously tremendous, like each the size of my head. Like they'd been augmented so ridiculously. Uh, and yet she was actually phenomenal. Like she was really smart. She was funny. Like she was telling me she was going to take me to the Playboy party. And I was like, afterwards, I was like, were you serious? And she's like, no. <laughs> Which is good because I was dating my wife at the time and that right. would have been bad. That, um, that, been bad. that was really interesting. Um, to interview a porn star on camera for like a very sort of PG rated right. show, um, adult film. Because stuff. what do you talk about if you can't Besides, talk about what she does? We talked about football and we talked about uh, the parties and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And yeah, we'd bear and oh, because she was she had gone mainstream for like a second and a half. She had a small part in uh, an Apatow movie. I can't remember. I think okay. it was uh, Knocked Up. I think she was in that. So I'm trying to think of some other ones, but that that's the first one that came to mind. That came to mind pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did, because she's hot. That memory is fresh for you. Totally fresh. And that was in 07. <laughs> Holy crap. Are there any big sporting events you haven't worked that you would still like to? Huh. Sporting events that I haven't worked. I would love to do something at, you know, at Gillette or at Fenway or something like that. I've never gotten to do anything there mm-hmm. um, and, and never anything really for boston sports teams i worked for the nets i was there the new jersey nets before they were in brooklyn mm-hmm. i was their on-court host for half a year and the celtics actually you know played them a couple of times mm-hmm. while i was emceeing you know right. so like hey make some noise well you know that whole thing um have you worked in olympics never done an olympics and i don't i don't think i would want to i think it's too stressful there's just too much going on and um I don't know. Too many different languages. Way too many different languages. I mean, it would be. I would never say no to it. Mm-hmm. I would. I was. I had an opportunity to do some kind of basketball tournament in Qatar, I think it was, and I wasn't able to do it because okay. I had another job. That would have been interesting. Um, and it seemed like there was a lot of money <laughs> that I wasn't able to do it. And it seems like a lot of your 
work is done outdoors? A lot of it, yeah. So, uh, like, I'll do like the uh, dew tour in the in the winter. Mm-hmm. I've, I've done some of that. So that's like out in Breckenridge for three or four days, standing out there. It's like sometimes below ten degrees or whatever. What's What's the best thing you've you've learned along the way to kind of help you deal with the elements, since a lot of your work is outside? It's a good point because I, you know, you work in like crazy heat in like florida or even out here or whatever and then like the crazy cold you just you or it might rain on you the or? rain so waterproof sneakers i'm wearing them now my columbia uh waterproof and breathable whatever sneakers you always have to have something waterproof just because i mean eventually they'll stop being that but if it does rain at least you're protected and they, they're comfortable uh you gotta have long johns for anything cold like even if it's remote like if it's going to be like in the 40s or 50s and i'm mm-hmm. going to be outside for eight hours i wear long johns because you just don't want to be uncomfortable and cold, and they're breathable, you know, the silk ones, whatever. So layer up, uh, and if it's you got to wear Under Armour or something like that, uh, the wicking stuff for your junkage, because <laughs> it gets pretty, pretty rough. Now, uh, coming up this year, you're making it your first film. I am, uh, and it's co-starring one of our classmates, Mark Feuerstein. It is indeed. What made you just? And you did it through which? Which crowdfunding? Uh, Indiegogo. Indiegogo. Now, what, yeah. what, what gave you the gumption to, to make your own movie? Man, I, you know, the gumption came from uh, no one else was going to make it. Like, that, that was it. It was just I had a I, – I can't call myself a screenwriter because I basically have one script, right? Mm-hmm. I, I have a feature that I, I wrote years ago when I thought the Cuervo Man movie was going to be made and it – and uh, and re- in a couple of years ago, when I just was, you know, had our son, and I was like, I needed, I I was trying to act and audition and do all this other stuff and improv, and I was like, forget it. What I want to do is make a movie. Developed the the feature into a short. My good friend Sean Gannett, who I've worked with and uh, did a feature with him uh, back in 2010, that just got to the festivals uh, fairly recently, as we did a, a lot of uh, post production on it. Oh wow! But we started it in 2010, called uh, Chasing Taste. And I had a really fun, you know, role with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we we were talking, and 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 I said, you know, do you want to make Last Night in Rosie? And we both did. It was just like, but we can't afford to make the feature. So I worked on cutting it down to a short. Got it to twenty five pages, which is a very long short. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got a producer involved and a DP and other people. And they said the producer Darcy Trunzo was like, you need to make this more like ten to twelve pages. So I cut it some more, um, and then. I thought because she's the producer, I was like, I guess she's going to figure out how to make it. And then it's like I found out I'm the executive producer, and so you need to get the money. And I was like, wow. And then looking at budgets, we realized, um, yeah, I can't afford it. And I I talked to a bunch of people, including uh, classmate Raul, you know, who's, who's – who's Bob Nani. Bob Nani, who is uh, – I think he's like the COO or CFO for um, – and I'm going to totally uh, – Cory Booker's – uh, first campaign mm-hmm. in uh, in uh, New Jersey there. Um, is it Newark, Trenton? Mm-hmm. Newark. 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 So um, I talked to him and, mm-hmm. and some other people, and, and, uh, and Indiegogo just ended up being the best way to go about it since, you know, we'd get to keep it even if we didn't raise our, our goal. But uh, David Rodwin, another uh, Princetonian and a Tiger Tone year ahead of me, uh, had a lot of experience with it, and he walked me through it. And I mean, there's no way I, I raised $30,000 plus without him. Um, you know, I might have got like five. You know, it's just he, he knew how to do it. And I would have asked for too much and wouldn't have got any. And um, So that was it. I think it was like this needs to be done. We need to figure it out. Having a team together, all of us figuring out the best way to go forward uh, and then picking the right way to go about it. Getting fiscally sponsored help, too, through From the Heart Productions, where okay. it's uh, tax-deductible donations and stuff nice. like that. How did you cast Feuerstein? Before we even did all that it like stuff. It has to be a classmate of mine. It has to be. You know what it was? <laughs> or, I, and I, I love Mark, you know, but I, I didn't think he would But only it. one who's a star of basic cable. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I was like, Wentworth Miller won't do it. Um, so, yeah, you know, Mark, I, I love Mark, and I hadn't thought of him right away i was thinking because i thought i would play ronnie mm-hmm. like doing it the main character instead of playing the 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 friend that he goes back home to see um who stayed in in this town in, in boston um and 
And so when when Sean and I were just talking and we were like, all right, what's the best way to make this movie and to try to get money mm-hmm. for it? It's like, well, we should probably have a name involved. And we we're going through like who we knew and stuff. And I thought of Mark right away. I just didn't know. I didn't think he'd be interested, and I didn't, you know, all this other stuff. But then it, the more I thought about it, I was like, he's actually perfect for this. And then thinking, actually, he makes sense for Ronnie, the guy that leaves Boston and mm-hmm. lives in New York, and he's almost more of a New Yorker now. Right. Um, and uh, and I and I called him and I told him why I was making the movie and and pitched it to him in a very non-pitch way, and uh, and he was incredibly gracious and and listened to it and he said i love the idea he's like but i got no time and uh, (laughs) you know but i'll read it and uh and he says i think he said something like unless it's my rocky uh i don't think i can you know really help you with it but i'm flattered and honored that you would you know offer this to me thank you so much and uh, he read it and he got back to me said i absolutely love it that was the 25 page version okay so uh you know even that was a risk because i'm i'm sure he read it and was like this is a great story but i can't imagine you, you making this but he loved it and um and and said I still don't know if I can you know help you because he had just produced something, um, he had spent a lot of time and energy and, and he didn't want to get involved in that again and I totally understood it. and I said how about we do everything you just have to show up will you be able to do it can you mm-hmm. give us two to four days and he was like yeah I can do that um, and that was it you know okay. and uh, and so that was early in the process um, and so you know it, we kind of took off from there. So what do you make of the fact that just in our own peer group, <laughs> I mean, even just within lightweight football, Isn't that there's, crazy? there's a handful of us who not only went into various aspects of show business, but also like in a comedic aspect, different takes on it. Yeah. And then there's people in like the year ahead of us and the year behind us who are also in comedy in one sense or another. Craig Mazin, oh, yeah. 92, wrote scripts yeah. for The Hangover 2 and 3. And he writes, he does his um, shoot the podcast. Um, yeah, the screenwriting podcast. Screenwriting podcast. Uh, there's uh, Michael Jammin, 92, who's a showrunner on uh, Mark Maron's IFC oh, wow. show. Yeah. Rob Kuttner, 94, works on Conan. Matt Eisman. Matt Eisman just announced as, uh, he was just announced as one of the uh, new Participants on Celebrity Apprentice. Really? Yeah, the uh, the Schwarzenegger edition. No, oh. the No Trump edition. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, uh, Bill also, Dawes, who's done yeah, a Bill bunch Dawes. of comedy and and Broadway, and it's amazing. You know, it's a, athletes, a lot of athletes yeah. that are doing this too. Which is because there's not not like with Harvard that has the lampoon and the history of sending writers to Saturday Night Live or to Hollywood. There's not a tradition of Princetonians. Going into show business and comedy, yeah, in particular, yeah, it's very strange. I mean, I, I'm not sure how how it's happened, you know, um, because yeah, I do think of Harvard as more of a sort of a, a streamline to to the business, right. especially with Conan and all that, you know, and the Lampoon and, and the Simpsons and Saturday Night Live, yeah, uh, so much of it. And whereas Princeton, I feel like there isn't a sort of a a funnel. It's just kind of a bunch of individuals that have found their way different ways. Uh, which is to say that Princeton is better. And <laughs> so is that your – I was going to ask, what's your theory? What's your theory on how we all ended up no idea, man. having – It seems so random. Whatever you would call a career. I mean, Fourier Scenes is probably the most traditional. Yeah. Whereas you and I – But even are, he – You like, and I are more untraditionally in definitely. entertainment. Yeah, kind of doing our – finding our, our niche and, yeah. and, and sort of, yeah, creating our <laughs> own whatever that role is. Right. And even Mark, I mean, his story, man, it's a whole other thing. You should definitely talk to him. But, like, you know, it, he was acting and stuff, but it, it, it's it's not your run-of-the-mill story and in, in how he actually got started. But, you know, once he got started, he was in. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like Matt Eisman, I think, was like, a, wasn't he a lawyer? Or doctor. He was a doctor? Doctor. He went to med school. That's right. That's right. That's crazy. But he was on the baseball team. Yeah. I know. Um, and now he's an American Ninja Warrior. And- yeah. Yeah, and it's insane. Doing stand-up and now I, on Celebrity Apprentice. All I can say is that, you know, uh, an institution of higher learning of any kind, you're going to get, because they're looking for well-rounded, smart people that are oftentimes creative as well. I think that's it. It's just kind of luck of the draw. I mean, if you go to any university, you're going to mm-hmm. find a lot of these names and stuff. But I do find it strange that in our peer group, right. it's, you know, the, it's It's weird. within a specific cluster. I almost wonder... If there was something we were all doing. Yeah. Something in the 
I mean, Kool Aid. I mean, we were listening to Bust a Move a lot. That yeah, that was Young MC, Young MC, and Bust a Move. My God, yeah, the lightweight football team. I'm trying to think. There must be. There's other folks. I think the lightweight football team that did you know big stuff. It's yeah, it's it's fascinating to think that uh, that we've all sort of you know come this way from. You wouldn't expect it from lightweight football. No, or any athletics. Not at all. I mean, Tranch is not in comedy or show business at all. He should be. <laughs> he should. You know what Tranch should do? What? <laughs> Was it Mike Tranchina? Yeah. All he should do is he should just hit people randomly. <laughs> just tackle anybody anywhere. I know it's been done, but, like, that's mm-hmm. it. He'd still just put a hurting on anyone. He hit harder than anyone on the planet. And he was, like, 140 pounds. I went to, I went to a banquet in New York that the, the team put together because – they were saying they were on kind of dire straits with the university. So they were looking for alums who played to come together and give money, but also kind of give moral support. Yeah. And Trance showed up and uh, oh, he man. looks a little different, but he's still got the fire. Does he? Yeah. He's still very it. inspirational. Like he, he's, he gave a speech and like, I was like, right, I'm, I'm back in. Like whatever you need. I'm back in. Put on my pads. No pads. I don't care. <laughs> I don't need a helmet. Um, what is the, uh, along those lines, what's the last great kind of inspirational advice you've received? Interesting. Last great inspirational advice yeah. I've received. That's or read or heard. Yeah. Um, I mean, I get a lot of it, you know, through the relationships I have today where you just kind of talk and you open up and, and share stuff um, or, you know, certain books and movies. Um, best? You have to give me a second. I'm sorry. I wish I yeah, had something handy. I, I, it was faster. I could talk about Stormy Daniels. Again. <laughs> but um, well, as you prepare to go on this yeah. flight to the Super Bowl, like what, what's kind of like at the top of your head in terms of like keeping you motivated and inspired? And yeah, that's a good point. To I, do what you do. I think to be like okay, instead of going, oh, I gotta go do Super Bowl week, and I gotta yeah talk to a bunch of dumb drunks. You know what's amazing is and that you could even say that because most people are like, dude, you're going to the Super Bowl. That's awesome. But you can kind of like, no, I, I've had that attitude for so long of like, yeah, I got to go to the Super Bowl and I got to go to Daytona 500 and I got to do all this stuff. And I forget how lucky I am that I get to do what I do and yeah. go to these big events and stuff. But, you know, the luster has, has worn off, certainly, from the first, you know. Yeah. So what's the kind of the, so what's. What that inspires is, you now? I think it's my family, man, and and it's and it's this film as well. Mm-hmm. As far as like, wh- you know, what? Why am I doing this? And it's you know to help my family, and it's also to you know see a dream through. To know that like, I and to feel blessed to be like grateful to say like this is something that I'm good at. Um, as far as just talking on a microphone in front of a bunch of people and and keeping them entertained, mm-hmm. I've, I've had a number of people through the years. As silly as something I, I've done, you know, uh, where I'm just talking to a bunch of people for whatever brand, for whatever event, and they would come up to me and say, you know, thanks. Like, you just you made my day. Like, you know, someone would say, like, I was having a crappy morning, and you just made me laugh so hard. Thanks. You know, and, and again, I'm not a comedian. It's not like I'm, I don't have jokes that I'm, I'm working on and stuff. So it, so I'm always amazed at that. But I, I – for whatever reason, I just interact and, and – and find things that work and, and, and make people laugh with my energy or like dancing or whatever, whatever the heck it is. And to just know that that's, that's a gift and that's being of service to, you know, something to do with the greater good of like, it's not just me being a goofball and like it has no value mm-hmm. and whatever you dog and pony act. It's like, no, like people need to laugh and people mm-hmm. need to be entertained, you know? Uh, and to be a part of that is, is pretty special and cool. And anyway, for me to go up there and to just know that I am uh, blessed to be able to, to do this for a living and, uh, and I don't have to work very often to make a living. And, you know, and so there's going to be a long nine days, but like, I'm kind of psyched about it. You know, I, I feel good about it. And on the, on the other side of the coin, if somebody who wants to be an entertainer and doesn't know, they look at they look at you on the Facebook feed, or, or they they're at an event and they see you and they go, "How do I do what you do?" What's yeah. the first piece of advice you would give somebody who who's just starting on this journey? I know it's a, it's a good question because, um, I mean, going back to when I was doing the when I was like the Cuervo party catalyst, mm-hmm. official party catalyst for the Northeast or whatever it was, for, like 
they had a contest. And this is not to say how special I am. It's just it's just a weird sort of thing that I do. But they had a contest that Bill Dawes actually was was part of at one point. But it was to find the big shot. It was to find a Cuervo big shot. And they wanted to find someone who does what I do. They wanted mm-hmm. to basically – they used me to try to find – to hire other people to take my job right. to work in different markets. The recruitment yeah, and and it was a contest, and it was like all these you know talented people and, and stuff like that, and then they ended up not doing anything with anybody because it's just it's just a weird combination of of stuff. So I think that, and while I, there are plenty of other MCs that I work with and stuff, mm-hmm. we all do it differently. Right. So I think that if if someone specifically wanted to be like an MC for a brand at like a, a sporting event right. specifically. Uh, all I could say is you, you get involved as a brand ambassador. Most likely there's a lot of companies that hire people for like 10, 15, 20 bucks an hour, whatever it is to just go and talk to everybody. And that's kind of how I started in the liquor business too. You know, I was a shot girl basically. <laughs> you know? They go and give some t-shirts away for two mm-hmm. hours. You know, I give 10 t-shirts, make people buy a drink, but you can't make them buy a drink. Do you own a t-shirt cannon? Uh, I don't own one. No, What's I don't the, even use it. I, I just throw them. I got a I cannon. Showed, I got this cannon right here. <laughs> you showed me your garage, and you have. Are there any weird? Oh yeah, what do I accessories got or tricks that only a party starter owns? I probably still have a penis enlarger in there. That doesn't work, but it was like the old school from the you, Austin Power days. Um, do you have to take that through the airport? I have. There was when I was doing Cuervo stuff. I would have like the mini plunger mm-hmm. and like a rubber chicken. And I think I might have had the penis enlarger mm-hmm. at one point in there and, like, all this other random stuff. And, like, you know, TSA was going through, like, look what he got here. And I was like, that's my personal stuff. Like, I know it's funny, <laughs> but you literally pulled a rubber chicken out of my bag and showed it to everybody in line. That can't be legal. And then I shot her. <laughs> Tequila shot. Tequila, Tequila shot. shot. You can't shoot people. <laughs> I'm going. I'm not going to LAX. There was a shooting at LAX. Remember that a couple of years ago? Good God. All right. Now let's move on. God, yeah. It's ruined. It's got dark in here. Well, um, gosh. No shooting. Ryan, um, <laughs> you may be McShow off, yeah. but I'm, I'm grateful to see how humble you still are. <laughs> really? For being a party starter. <laughs> and it's and it's always great to catch up with you. So oh, thanks. So you have a know. have a blast at uh, Super Bowl Fifty and the Daytona Five Hundred. And other sporting events that don't have numerals in them. Yes, I know. <laughs> Excellent. Dude, thanks so much, man. I really uh, appreciate you. I'm honored to be interviewed, and it's, it's great to be able to catch up with you today. Oh, thanks, Ryan. Thanks, buddy. Bust a move. All right. Bust it. <laughs> this episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.